Well, hey guys, good evening. Welcome to Grace Church. Happy Father's Day to uh, all of you who are fathers. Again, we've said that a few times, but um, we celebrate you and we're really grateful for you. It's an incredible privilege being a father and it's an incredible responsibility being a father. And so uh, we celebrate you. We thank you uh, for doing the stuff that you do. And uh, as fathers, and I think as mothers in a little bit different way, but as fathers maybe especially, we get a chance to, as God is our heavenly father, we get a chance to kind of mimic him and act as fathers to our children. So uh, we celebrate you today. Happy Father's Day to each of you. I never uh, know what to get my dad for Father's Day. Like, uh, he's really hard to shop for. So usually we end up, like, finding a card for him and uh, getting him, like, a golf shirt or something. He doesn't golf, but I don't know what else to get him, so I just... It might even be, I may have even gotten you that shirt for fathers, my dad over there. I may have even gotten you that, right? I don't know. For a pair of Dockers. You wear Dockers, right? Anyway, I was looking for uh, Father's Day cards and online. I came across some ones that were really funny, so I thought I'd start off maybe with my top six Father's Day cards. You ready for this? Number six. Here we go. Here's what it says. I'll admit it. You were right about a lot of things, Dad. This card will self-destruct in five seconds. I love that one. Kind of hard to admit Dad was right, right? Was it excellent? Number five, here we go. Dad, thanks for pushing me to become a slightly better than mediocre athlete. Thank you, Dad. Number four, I still think you can beat up all the other dads in the neighborhood. Happy Father's Day. It's a great compliment to any dad, right? Number three, Mom, I mean Dad, you've always been my favorite. (laughs) That may be the most honest one of all of them, right? Number two, here we go. You know, I have to say this. Before I read that, I have to say this. I've been accused. I had somebody who has listened to me preach a few times, and they're like, every time I've heard you preach, you've mentioned something about poop in a sermon every single time. So here it is. Here's my obligatory. Dad, thanks for putting up with my crap, literally, because they change diapers, right? You know. All right, number one. Here it is. This is my favorite Father's Day card. Dad, thank you for not leaving me somewhere in a bucket. I don't really know what that means. It just made me laugh. So there you go. So anyway, happy Father's Day. I want to pray for you fathers here in a second. Before we do, I want to uh, go through some announcements here real quick. You should have gotten a little program when you came in. In the program is a connection card. And this is a great way for you to communicate with us. So if you have anything that you need any information on or anything like that, um, you can fill this out after the sermon. Uh, We'll pass the offering baskets around. You can just drop it right in the offering basket. If you're visiting with us today... Man, special welcome to you. We're really, really glad that you're here. Um, We want you to feel at home. We want you to be who you are, relax. Um, We're pretty laid back around here. Um, If you uh, would fill one of these out, that would be helpful to us. And just let us know that you're here. And again, you can just drop it in the basket. On the back is a place for prayer requests. I say this every week because I really believe it's important for us to be, as a staff, to be praying for you. So if you have something that you would like prayer on, Fill one of these out, and you can write on the back, and we promise that we'll pray for you. Um, Also in your program, there's a couple things. First thing is Bible camp. As you can see by my T-shirt, we are in Bible camp week. I'm super excited about that. 
Bible camp is a blast. It's always a fun time for me to just be able to be a kid uh, and be silly and stupid because I'm never that way in sermons or services or anything. So Bible camp gives me a chance to do that. Uh, but it's coming up this week. It's Monday through Friday, 6.30 to 8.30. It's not too late to sign up. So if you have a child that uh, is four years old through fifth grade, finishing fifth grade, um, you can sign them up. We're doing it combined with Norton this year. And so it's at the Norton campus. All the information is online. You can do it that way. Um, the next thing, it's not in your program, but we have a little slide for it. Next Sunday, not tomorrow, but the Sunday after, is a congregational meeting that we're having. So this is our very, so the Barberton campus, we're like three months old officially, right? We're, we're a young campus. This is our first congregational meeting, and we're doing this. We'll give you some updates. I'll give you some updates on some things, kind of where we're at, um, but also to approve our budget. So if you are a member of Grace Church, um, we are a congregational church, and so you vote to approve the budget that we propose. And so we'll be doing that um, next Sunday, the 28th, at 6 o'clock. We're going to do it at the Norton campus at well, so, as well, so we'll be in the auditorium there. Um, you don't have to be a member to come, though, by the way. Like, anybody can come, and we would love for you to come uh, and just kind of hear what's going on and, and, and be a part of everything. So that's next Sunday at 6 o'clock. Um, last thing I want to point your attention to is... Uh, July 4th, so that's just a couple Sundays away. It's amazing. Man, it's almost July. Two Sundays away is July 4th, and uh, we're going to do something a little bit different on July 4th. We're a little, uh, little bit out of the box. We don't, we're not able to use the building here, and so we're going to take Grace Church out uh, into the park, actually. There's a beautiful park called Tuscora Park right next to Barberton Hospital, and they've got a great pavilion there, and so we've rented out the pavilion and a lot of the park so that we can uh, do a little bit, kind of an abbreviated service. It uh, won't be too long, but John's going to lead us in some worship. I'm going to share a few thoughts, and then um, we're going to be cooking out. So we've got some hot dogs and uh, buns for your hot dogs and, uh, and drinks, and then you guys are going to bring the rest. And so um, the, the big thing with this is we really want you to invite people. And so in your program, you have a little card that we made up that is like an invite for you. So everybody who got a program, which is hopefully all of you, got one of these cards, don't leave it at home. Don't, don't throw it away. Don't leave it in your filing cabinet, right? A lot of people's Bibles are like filing cabinets. But take it and pass it out to somebody uh, and invite them. A lot of people struggle going to a church, right? It's scary to go to a church many times, um, but people go to the park all the time. So this would be a great time to invite people. Um, bring whatever park stuff you want. There's basketball hoops. There's... I want to get a mad game of kickball going. We got a, a baseball field there. Kickball's a blast. So uh, wear your athletic attire, chairs, all that sort of stuff. Make sense? So that's two weeks. Also, um, you can two weeks from now is trunk food as well. We gather food together for uh, Barberton area community ministries to help disperse that to folks in need in the 44203 area code. So you can just bring that to uh, the park on July 4th, leave it on your uh, trunk, and we'll gather that for you. Um, so uh, I want to spend a little time, I'm gonna, we're going to jump into our series, we're going to continue our series that we've been doing that Pastor Dan has led us through the first couple weeks, which has been, that was a blast for me to be able to uh, hear him and kind of have him pastor us. So we're going to jump into that, but I want to spend um, just a couple minutes and pray before we do and kind of set the stage for tonight and lift up Father. So let's do that. Father, um, again, thank you for tonight. Thanks for the privilege of being able to do this, God. It's so easy to take this for granted but you give us the freedom to gather together in a nice air-conditioned place with chairs and coffee and all kinds of things to make us comfortable. And God, we recognize that so many places around the world don't have that. 
and you protect us and you keep us safe. And so, Father, we just want to stop tonight and we want to say thank you that you allow us to do this. I pray, God, that you would teach us uh, what you want us to learn tonight. Pray our hearts would be open to you and we would leave a little bit different, a little bit changed tonight than when we came in. And, Father, I lift up our fathers here to you, fathers all around the world, God. I pray that you would help us as dads to be uh, wonderful dads. Help us as fathers to be the kind of father that you are to us. Help us to see the responsibility and also the privilege of being a father. So I lift them up tonight, God. I pray for your blessing, uh, and I pray that you would use us as dads in the lives of our families. So we give you tonight, God. We're really grateful. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so um, I want to continue in our series on Philippians that we've been doing called Uncommon Joy. And so each week we've kind of been going chapter by chapter through the book of Philippians. So Philippians is only four chapters long. Uh, we had a little journal that you could take with you that we made as well. If you are looking to kind of change up uh, your, your quiet time with the Lord and focus on Philippians during these weeks, you could do that. Um, but we're uh, continuing on this week. We've done chapters one and two last week. We're going to continue on in chapter three this week. And Pastor Dan, like I said, shared the first couple weeks and he gave us a little bit of background on the book. And so I thought maybe it'd be good when I started out to give, to, to kind of reiterate a little bit of the background to get us all on the same page. So the book of Philippians is written by Paul. Good. You guys are listening. Good. The Apostle Paul wrote it. And this is, he wrote it to a church that he founded about 10 years previous. So Paul was the guy who brought the gospel to Philippi, right? And so people knew him, people had a relationship with him, and now 10 years later, he's writing this letter to them. And it's fascinating because he writes this letter to them from prison, right? So he's awaiting a trial with the Emperor Nero in Rome, and he's literally in prison, whatever that looked like, prison cell, uh, house confinement, he's confined, and he's writing this letter to them. And the main theme of the book of Philippians is joy. I want you to kind of just let that sink in for a second. This book is all about joy that Paul's writing, and he's writing it from, a con- from prison confinement, right? And I don't think he's writing like he's, he's joyous about being in prison. That would be weird. But he had an uncommon joy because of the uncommon gospel, right? That's what we've been saying these first couple of weeks. His uncommon joy came from this uncommonly good news. That's what the gospel means. And we said that the gospel is all about two things. Paul starts off a lot of his letters um, with a greeting talking about grace and peace, right? He does it in this letter too. The gospel, the uncommon gospel, is all about grace and peace. A few weeks ago, when we ended our My Life Changed Win series, we talked about how my life changed when I experienced grace. Grace is about not getting what I deserve, but instead getting what I don't deserve, right? Because what I deserve is punishment. What I deserve is God's wrath. But instead, I get forgiveness and I get peace, right? That's the second thing. Not get grace, not getting what I deserve, but getting what I don't deserve, and peace, having peace with God. No longer does my sin make me uh, stand in rebellion against God, with God as my enemy, but instead, because of the gospel, because of the uncommon gospel, I have peace with God. And I'm no longer in rebellion, but he's my friend. I'm reconciled to him. So throughout this series, we've been kind of asking a question that I want you to Uh, to be chewing on a little bit as we go through this this morning. Have you ever really embraced the uncommon gospel that brings us grace and peace and uncommon joy? 
As we talk about Philippians and the uncommon joy that we receive from this uncommon gospel, in you and your life, have you ever embraced this gospel? Where it is, where it's like, you, it's yours. It is the most important thing about you. It's a question that we've been challenging you with throughout this series. It's a good question for you to wrestle with tonight. So um, I want to jump into it. So pull out your Bibles if you got them. Open it to Philippians chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible, we have a whole table of them back there. Um, We would love for you to have one. If you don't have one of your own, take that. It's our gift to you. We'd love for you to have it. In the church Bibles, it's page 952. And as you're flipping there, I want to kind of set the stage for what Paul's talking about this way. Um, For a while now, uh, when I was doing some seminary work, I got kind of interested in philosophy. Anybody interested in philosophy in here? A couple people, a few people. That's good. Philosophy, I, I'm kind of interested in philosophy. It's a lot of heady stuff. And if I'm honest with myself, sometimes some of the stuff is beyond my intellectual abilities. But I like it anyway because I kind of like the wrestle. I think it makes me feel smart or something, right? But I love philosophy. And philosophy is broken down into three main branches. So the study of philosophy as a whole is broken down into three main branches. The first branch is called metaphysics. Metaphysics centers around this question of what is real, And it deals with reality, existence. That's the first branch, metaphysics, what is real. The second branch of philosophy is called epistemology. Epistemology asks the question, what do we know or how do we know? And it deals with knowledge and it deals with logic. So you have metaphysics, what is real? You have epistemology, what is knowledge? How do we know? And then the third branch is called axiology. And axiology deals with this question of what is valuable, and what is worth? What has worth? And each of these three branches is broken down into lots of other different branches. But the one that's really, really interesting to me is this axiology. What is valuable? Why do I bring that up to you? Well, this is actually very much the context of what Paul's talking about in chapter 3 here. He's, he's really asking two questions. And I want you to be chewing on these questions throughout my sermon tonight. Ready? The first question is, What's valuable to me? What's valuable to me? The second question is, what's valuable about me? Okay? What's valuable to me? This is kind of axiology, right? What's valuable to me and what's valuable about me? See, these are real guys who wrote the Bible, right? Like they they lived in a real world and they wrestled with real world stuff, very similar to the struggles and the temptations that we wrestle with today, right? Like fame, power, sex, lust, money, pleasure, all of that stuff that we wrestle with, they wrestled with as well. How did they deal with it, right? How did they deal with it? What did they think was valuable? How did they focus on what was valuable to them? How did they stay away from the things that were not valuable to them? What was their perspective on it all? Well, as we, as we chat this evening, I want you to, um, to ask yourself those questions. Um, what's valuable to me? What's valuable about me? And I want you to do me a favor. I want you to, have, to kind of keep two things in mind. The first thing is, would you be honest? Like, be honest with yourself. You know, as you look inside your heart, as you ask yourself these questions, like, what? What is valuable to me? What's important to me? What has worth in my life? Would you be honest with yourself? Like, don't pretend that you got everything under control. Don't pretend like everything's perfect if it's not. And it's probably not, right? It's it's not for any of us. None of us has everything perfectly under control. And that's okay. And it's important for us to be honest about that. Because if we're not honest about that, we're not going to have growth in our lives, right? And we want to grow. 
So the first thing is be honest. The second thing is would you be open tonight? And what I mean by that is would you be open to what God wants to do in you tonight? As you ask yourself these questions, we look at Philippians chapter 3, and we talk about, like, what's valuable to me? As I walked in here tonight, what would I say, or what would somebody say who's observing my life, what's valuable to me, what's valuable about me? Would you be honest tonight, and would you be open tonight to allow God to do what he wants to do inside of you? So as we open up his word together, would you allow God's spirit to work through his word with your spirit to leave you a little bit different tonight than when you came in. Would you do that for me? Be honest, be open. Agreed? I see a few head nods, so that's enough. I'll move on. All right. So you're in Philippians chapter 3. Here we go. I want to jump into it, starting in verse 1. So this is Paul writing. He says, Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. There it is again, right? This is rejoice. He said this major theme throughout the book of Philippians. Rejoice in the Lord. It's no trouble for me to write these same things to you again, and it's a safeguard for you. And then he kind of really changes thoughts here. He says, watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and who put no hope, sorry, put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. Let me stop right there for a second, because I think this can be a little bit confusing for us. Like, what's Paul talking about? He goes from, in one line, the very beginning of the chapter, saying, rejoice in the Lord, my brothers and sisters, to the very next line saying, watch out for those dogs, watch out for those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. Like, what happened? What's Paul getting at here? Well, without getting too sidetracked, let me, let me explain it to you this way. There was a group of people around in Paul's days called the Judaizers. And the Judaizers were people who were misguided, okay? Basically, what they thought and what Paul vehemently disagreed with was that in order to become a Christian, in order to become a true Christ follower, first, you had to become Jewish, and you had to follow the Old Testament laws. This is what the Judaizers said. In order to become a Christ follower, to become a true Christian, first, you had to become Jewish, and you had to follow all the Old Testament laws. And so circumcision was kind of this physical representation of being a Jew and following the Jewish laws. So these Judaizers, these, these mutilators of the flesh, as Paul called them, were telling people that in order to become a Christian, you needed to get circumcised first and follow all the Old Testament laws. Do this, do that, don't do this, don't do that. But what Paul says to the Philippians and to us is that's ridiculous. He's saying following Jesus isn't primarily about what you do or what you don't do. It's not primarily about following a bunch of rules. It's about who you know, who you love, and who you follow. He says, listen, if anybody, if anybody wants to put um, emphasis on the importance of like the flesh of the things that we do, it should be me. I mean, look at me. Look at my life. Look at it. Look back at verse 2. He says, watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, mutilators of the flesh, for it's we who are the circumcision, who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. And then he lists them. Ready? Here he goes. Circumcised on the eighth day, which seems like a weird thing to brag about if you ask me, but I guess back then it's fine. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. What's he saying? 
He's saying, on the outside, I look great. Like, much better than most people. I'm shiny. I'm polished up. I'm perfect. He's kind of giving his spiritual resume here, right? But what we look like on the outside is much, much less important to God than what's going on on the inside. Specifically, who we know, who we love, and who we follow. In fact, Paul goes on to say that it's all worthless. All the stuff going on on the outside, in fact, is worthless compared to knowing Jesus. Look at it. Look at verse 7. But whatever were gains to me, his, his spiritual pedigree that he just talked about, whatever were gains to me, I now consider a loss for the sake of Christ. What's more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Remember we said axiology is about worth, it's about value. He says, everything's a loss compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. He says, I consider them garbage. In your Bibles, it might say rubbish. Uh, Literally, that word that's translated is dung, which is animal excrement. That's literally what he's saying. He's saying, all of these things, I consider all of these things animal excrement, garbage, rubbish, dung, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, do this, do that, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. He says, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. That's powerful. That's powerful. Paul's saying, I just want to know Christ. There is nothing else that's even close. All the other stuff, all the other stuff I've done, all the other stuff that I could do is worthless to me. I remember when, uh, when I was growing up, in my room, I had a, a dresser. It was actually a chest of drawers. It was the highest piece of furniture in my room. And on it, I put all of my trophies. So like every trophy that I had, I displayed them prominently on my dresser, you know. And this is, this is before you got like 12th place trophies, okay. It's not like today. This is when you got trophies for first place or most valuable, right? So on my dresser, I had all of these trophies, baseball trophies, basketball trophies, presidential physical fitness trophies, medals, whatever, on my chest of drawers displayed proudly for everyone to see. These trophies, I felt like these trophies made me something. Somebody would come into my room, I'd be like, check out my trophies, all right? These trophies said that Jeff Martell was valuable because he was an athlete. That's what my trophy said to me. Jeff Martell is valuable because he's an athlete. I remember there are times when uh, if I got a good report card, sometimes I got a good report card. If I got a good report card, my parents would take this. this one, I think it's different today. I don't, we don't get to keep Luke's report card. But back then, you got to keep your report card, right? And I get my report card, and if I got a good report card, you know where my parents would put it? I think it was my parents. It might have been me who put it there, but somebody put it there. Right smack on the refrigerator, right? Right on the refrigerator in the kitchen. Good grades, Jeff Martell. A's. Straight A's, maybe. That was probably rare. I was always okay with a B. Just enough to get a B. Good grades. Excellence. Overachiever. 
Jeff Martell is valuable because he's smart. But you know what I've come to learn? And I think it's what Paul's telling us in this passage. Maybe, maybe you want to take a second and write it down. By the way, on the back of the program, there's always a place. I leave a, a, just a big blank space if you want to take any notes, if you want to write anything down. This might be something you want to write down. I think this is what Paul is telling us in this passage. We all have trophies, every single one of us, that mean very little. We all have them. We all have trophies that mean very little. See, Paul talked about some of his spiritual trophies in this passage, some of the things that were valuable to him and valuable about him. Circumcised on the eighth day, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. That's like his trophies, right? Those are his spiritual trophies. These were things that gave him worth in other people's eyes and gave him worth, in his mind at least, in God's eyes. If he did all of that stuff, then people would esteem him and God would accept him. I had trophies and report cards that told people how valuable I was because I thought I was valuable because I was athletic and I was smart. And you know, how I, you know how I thought that God would see me as valuable back then? Maybe some of you have wrestled with this. Maybe you're wrestling with this right now. I thought God would see me at value, as valuable if I went to church every week. God would accept me. God would see me as valuable if I went to church every week. For goodness sake, certainly God would love me if I sat through that boring thing every week, right? That's how I thought God would accept me spiritually. But what Paul discovered, and I've discovered in my own life, was that compared to the incredible value that comes from knowing Jesus, all of the other stuff, all of my trophies, all of my good grades, my good church attendance, all of those things are about as valuable as animal excrement. That's what Paul says. That's the metaphor. It's a pretty descriptive metaphor that he uses there. Now, now remember the questions that I wanted you to keep in the back of your mind, right? What's valuable to you? As you ask yourself, be honest with yourself. Be open to, to God kind of rewiring a little bit tonight. What's valuable to you? What's valuable about you? Let me, let me add a third question to that. What are your trophies? Because you look at your own life. As you look at what's valuable to you, as you walked in here tonight, somebody else looking at your life and they'll say, what's valuable about you? What are your trophies? You know? what, are, what are your good report cards that you're tempted to find value in, that you're tempted to, make, to think that make you valuable? You know, search your heart. Remember, be honest. Be open to what God has for you. What are those things that maybe you walked in here chasing after, saying, if I could just do this, if I could just accomplish this, then people would accept me, people would value me, and God would value me. I, I want to take it a step further. And this is something that's um, it's not original to me, um, but, and, and you may have heard it before, but I think it makes, makes Paul's point here really, really well. So this, I always get a little nervous when a pastor pulls out his wallet on stage, right? We didn't have enough in the, in the offering last week, and so we're going to stop. No, just kidding. What's this? $20 bill, right? $20 bill. Who would like to have this $20 bill? Raise your, <laughs> raise your hand. If you didn't have to do anything else, raise your hand if you would like to have this $20 bill. Oh, some of you are so holy. You're like, I don't know. Pastors don't make that much money. I don't know if I'm going to take this $20 bill. We all want it. We would all take the $20 bill, right? I mean, it's a $20 bill. It's worth 20 bucks. It's like, it's like two large pieces at Pizza Hut, right? I mean, it's 20 bucks. 
Okay, so we all, we're in agreement. We'd all like to have this $20 bill. What if I took this $20 bill and I started doing this with it? I started like making folds and creases in my $20 bill. And then my $20 bill looked like this. Who would still want my $20 bill? Everybody. Okay. Okay. What if I took it a step further and I took my $20 bill and I went like this. I crumpled it up. A little ball. It looks pathetic now. Would anybody still want this $20 bill? Right? Yeah? Can you take it a step further? What if I it on here, and I start going like this. And now it's crumpled and flat. Would anybody want this $20 bill? Some, some people. All right, last one. What if I took it and I rubbed it on my greasy, bald head? <laughs> Would anybody still... Still? <laughs> Forget it, that's enough. Why does everyone still want my $20 bill? Because none of those things that I did adds any value to my $20 bill, and none of those things that I did takes any value away from my $20 bill. It's been through the ringer and back, but this $20 bill still has the exact same value as when I started, right? But see, it's just a, it's just a dirty, wrinkled piece of paper. Like, why do you want this? You know, it's, just, it's, it's a piece of paper with some colorful artwork and wording printed on it. What makes this so valuable to you? See, listen, the only thing that makes this little, wrinkled, dirty piece of paper valuable is its relationship to the U.S. government, right? Because the U.S. government says that this little piece of paper is legal tender for all debts, public and private, right? That's That's what the U.S. government says, The U.S. government is what makes this valuable. It's stamped right on it. Listen, here's my point. If this this little piece of paper could talk, it can't. If you think it can, let's talk afterwards. But if it did, if this little piece of paper could talk, it would tell you that the most important thing in its life is its relationship with the U.S. government. Its relationship with the U.S. government is the only thing that gives it value. And in comparison, everything else is about as valuable to this piece of paper as garbage, as rubbish, as dung, as animal excrement. Uh, let, let me say it to you this way. You, you know those old MasterCard commercials, priceless, right? Let me say it to you this way. Knowing Jesus equals priceless. Knowing Jesus is priceless. It's beyond any value that we could comprehend. Paul says that he considered everything a loss compared to gaining Christ. Just like, just like the little $20 bill only has value because of its relationship to the U.S. government, far and away, the thing that brings the greatest value to us is a relationship with Jesus Christ. He's the one who gives us peace. He's the one who gives us forgiveness. He's the one who gives us righteousness. Comparatively, anything else that we could find is worthless. Comparatively, anything else that we could put value in is worthless compared to the the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus. Why? Because in him we have everything. 
in him is everything. Jesus completely turns our axiology upside down, right? He completely, we said axiology, we said when we started, we said it's what's valuable. Whatever we thought was valuable before compared to knowing the creator God who loves us, who provides for us, who protects us, who came to die for us so that we could be forgiven and actually live and even have the hope of having eternity with him forever. Anything else is rubbish. And that is priceless. It's so far beyond the value of anything else that we could pursue in this world that comparatively everything else is worthless. Paul says, he says, I want to know Christ. I want to know all I can about him. I want to experience his power. I want to experience his love. I want to experience his righteousness. In fact, I want to know him so much, I even want to experience his sufferings. I even want to be like him in death because that's part of who he is. I want everything about him. He's all that I want. Just give me Jesus and that's enough. See, sometimes we get it a little mixed up in our head. Like sometimes we get things twisted. Like we think Jesus plus anything else will be enough. You, you fill in what anything is. Sometimes this is what we think in our mind. Jesus is really important, but Jesus plus really good job, enough money, health, happiness, joy, anything else. Jesus plus that is enough. No, that's not right. This is what Paul is saying. He's saying Jesus plus nothing is enough. It's enough. Jesus plus nothing is enough. Let me ask you this. Could you say that? I guess it's challenging, guys. But could you say that in your own life? Jesus plus nothing else is enough. Could you echo Paul's words? Is knowing Jesus so important to you that nothing else is even close? Or are your trophies, are your report cards, is your perfect church attendance the things that you're chasing after and looking for value and worth within? Or maybe for you it's something different. Maybe for you it's being successful. Or maybe for you it's making a certain amount of money. You're chasing after it. Or maybe for you, it's giving your kids everything. I want my kids to have everything that I never had. They're only young ones. I want them to experience it all. Or maybe for you, it's having everybody else speak well of you. I want everybody to like me. It's really important to me. Then I'll be valuable in other people's eyes. Or maybe for you, it's being involved in as many things as church in church as physically possible. Well, I attend two services every week. I'm in three grace groups, and I serve in Power Kids every single week. Maybe through all of that, God will accept me. That'll make me acceptable to God. The psalmist says in Psalm 73, I love Psalm 73. You should read it sometime. The psalmist says in Psalm 73, he says, he's talking to God. He says, whom am I in heaven but you? Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Guys, is God your portion? I got ask, be honest. Is God your portion? Is Jesus your portion? Is he enough for you? If he's not, it's not because he's not enough. He is enough. It's because you just don't realize it yet. Or, or maybe you've forgotten. Or maybe you've gotten distracted or you've gotten sidetracked. 
You know, I almost made, I almost made a terrible mistake in what I was going to present to you tonight. Hopefully I corrected it, but I almost made a terrible mistake in what I was going to present to you tonight. Fortunately, every time anybody's up here preaching, we're also praying throughout the week, asking for God to give us wisdom and understanding and that sort of thing. And as I was praying this week about what to share with you, you know, I, kinda, I was reading the scriptures and I had kind of w- some things in mind that I wanted to share. And then I kind of felt God saying to me, um, hey, you're missing it. <laughs> you're, you're missing my point here. And so I want to share with you what I almost shared with you so you don't miss it like I almost missed it. Ready? And it's subtle. Man, it's subtle. And so you got to pay attention. But I think that there's two different emphases that we can have as we look at this passage in Philippians chapter 3. I think there's two different emphases. The first is this. We can look at Paul's words and we can think, ah, here's the secret to my happiness. Here's the secret to my contentment. Here's how I'm going to find value. Here's how I'm going to find purpose. No longer do I have to strive to impress God. You know, no longer do I have to do, do these things to like earn his favor. Here's the secret to my rest and peace that I've been looking for. I think we can look at this passage that way. And there's a lot of truth in that, right? I mean, there's a, there's a lot of truth in that. But I actually think um, that's, that's all the result of what Paul's talking about here. But I don't think that that's the primary push of the passage. I, if Paul would want you and I to get one thing out of what he's saying, I don't think that's it. I don't think that's what he's saying. That's a very human-centered perspective, a very humanistic perspective on what Paul's saying. Here's how I'll find my value. I'll find my peace. I'll find forgiveness. I'll find righteousness for me. The focus is us with this perspective. I don't think that's Paul's primary objective in what he's saying to us. In fact, I think Paul would be disappointed with us if that's what we walked away with. What Paul's saying here is not so much us-centered. What Paul's saying here is Jesus-centered. Listen, stay with me because this is, this is so important. Paul's not saying, go get to know Jesus because it'll make your life great and wonderful and valuable and peaceful. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, go get to know Jesus because he's the son of God. This is subtle, but this is huge. Don't go get to know Jesus because your life's going to be rosy and perfect and me, 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 me. Go get to know Jesus because he's the very son of God. He's God and savior. He's judge and king. He's rescuer and redeemer. He's the forgiver. He's the one who created all things and he's the one who's coming back and is gonna make all things new. He's the strength of your heart and he's your portion forever. Paul's saying Philippians, Barbertonians, Nortonians, Coventryans, wherever you're from, he's talking to us and he's saying, quit focusing on you. Quit focusing on your trophies. Quit focusing on your report cards, your perfect church attendance. It's not about you. It's about Jesus. He's the focus. It's about him. It's not about us. Do you see the difference? It's subtle, guys, but that difference is huge. Don't read this from a human-centered sort of way, like a selfish way, like I did at first. Here's the key to making your life better. Don't read it that way. That's not Paul's point with this. The point of what Paul's saying isn't really about us. It's actually the opposite. He said, anything that we do is worthless, but it's about Jesus and what he did. It's about him, 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 him. 
and how what he did changes everything for us if we cling to him. And there is nothing more important, not anything even remotely close, than making my life all about Jesus. And what's so cool is that when this happens, when we do this, then the uncommon gospel takes root in our life and it transforms us. God's spirit transforms us and gives us an uncommon joy that's not dependent on our circumstances, that's not dependent on how good of a job we have, that's not dependent on how successful we are or how much money that we make, that's not dependent on how many people like us, that's not dependent on our trophies, our good report cards, or our perfect church attendance. When Jesus is my everything, his uncommon gospel allows me to live with an uncommon joy no matter what's going on in my life. I'm going to invite the band out. They're going to be stirring around here a little bit behind me as I wrap up. But I want to say this. See, we don't, we don't have time. I wish we had more time. I was hoping that I could get through all of chapter 3. We don't have time. But later in the chapter, Paul says that when we do all of these things, when we, when we embrace the gospel, when we make Jesus the center of our lives, you know what we could do? We could forget what's behind us, and we could move forward to what God's got ahead of us saying we can forget whatever is behind us, anything, and we can move forward. It doesn't matter what it is. Have you been hurt? Have you hurt others? Sin, unforgiveness, bitterness, rebellion, it doesn't matter. When we embrace the gospel this way, put it behind us, and we strain towards, we strive toward what's ahead of us. You know what's ahead of us? When, when Jesus is our focus, you know what's ahead of us? just paradise, right? You know what makes it paradise? Jesus is there. King Jesus is sitting on his throne and he knows you and you get to know him and he loves you. It's a beautiful promise when we embrace the gospel this way, when Jesus becomes our everything and he's our center and he's our focus, we have a beautiful promise, not only of uncommon joy in this life, but paradise with the God of the universe who knows my name and who loves me. That's pretty good news. So, Father, um, it's amazing, Lord. It's just so, it's so easy.